0: Hello, my friends. Welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul White. It's the 31st day of January here for 2024, and as as our custom, the last day of the month means, essay edition. I sat down with wherever we are in our journey through the gospel. This is the gospel of Luke. We've arrived at the 8th chapter and the 40th verse, and we'll take through the end of the chapter to deal with today's essay. And it gives us a chance to investigate a little deeper and see where it takes us. You can read this, if you like the print version of the essay, at paulwhiteministries.com. So now, for January 2024, here's the essay edition. The journey from last month's essay to this one took us through two chapters of Luke. It saw the raising of the widow's son at Nain, the doubt of John the Baptist, the calming of a storm, and the exorcism of the young man in the Gadarenes. Now we arrive at Luke 8.40 with Jesus going back across the Sea of Galilee, where a multitude is waiting for him. Presumably, they watched him sail across to the Gadarenes, were concerned with his trip to Gentile land, and had come to the shore to see what had become of him and his disciples. I'll begin by relating the events of verses 40 to 56 as Luke tells them, and remind you that the Synoptic Gospels all include this story. They're also all in agreement on the little story that takes place in the middle of the greater story. All three gospels telling it this way leads me to believe that the order in which the events take place is crucial to understanding the events themselves. And with that in mind, we begin. The leader of the local synagogue is a man named Jairus, and we find him at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come heal his only child. We never learn the girl's name But Luke points out that she is 12 years old, and she is dying. He doesn't make much of a fuss about the fact that Jairus wants Jesus to come to his house, but focuses instead on the fact that the crowd is so great that they have trouble making the journey. Into this chaos comes the little story that is so vital to the greater story. A woman with a flow of blood approaches Jesus from behind, like she's either been chasing him or had let him slip past in a moment of doubt and then rushed forward before she lost her chance. Luke emphasizes that her blood flow has went on for 12 years and does so on the heels of telling us the age of Jairus' daughter. In most print versions of this text, the two phrases are so close together as to catch your eye, and I think that's Luke's intent. The number 12 is important to link both stories together. The woman had spent all her money on physicians, but none could cure her, which indicates that she was likely very wealthy, or at least she had been before this bleeding issue took it all away. We should also point out that Luke has used the word physician a little earlier in his narrative when Jesus claimed to love sinners because only the sick had need of a physician. Scholars tell us that Luke was likely a physician himself, lending a bit more depth to this focus on the sick and the well in his narrative. When the woman broke through the crowd, she stopped short of an all-out confrontation with Jesus, and instead, she reached through and touched the border of his garment, which caused a physical reaction in her body, bringing instantaneous healing. Imagine the feeling she had of knowing that this thing that had plagued her for 12 years was gone. Jesus asked who touched him, prompting Peter to respond with the obvious point about everyone touching him because the crowd was so large. But Jesus perceived that power had left him. This is a fascinating moment in the ministry of Jesus. On his way to visit a dying child, he stopped on his mission by the grasping faith of a desperate woman. I say grasping in the literal sense, but also in the metaphoric. I mean, she's grasping at straws in a way. She doesn't have the boldness to actually come ask for healing, but she does believe this man can do something to help her. There's no quoting of scripture or paying of penance, not even a simple conversation on her part. At least Jairus had the audacity to ask and even the humility to beg, but not this woman. What are we to make from a moment that makes Jesus look more like a slot machine than a miracle worker? This miracle feels more extorted than performed. He stops his journey and turns with such force that the woman trembles and falls at his feet, finally. Well, let's move on so we can land on a reason for this interruption. Jesus calls the woman daughter, the first such usage by Jesus in the Gospels. He prompts her to be of good cheer because her faith has made her well and to go in peace. It's a beautiful progression given to her by Jesus. Identity, emotion, commendation, and commission. And, and we follow a similar track in our own journey. We learn who we are. We come to an emotional understanding of that identity. We're commended in our search. And finally, we're sent out with a mission. As he's speaking to the woman, a messenger comes from Jairus' house and informs him that his daughter has just died. Jesus hears this report and tells Jairus not to fear, but to simply believe and that the little girl will be made well. When they arrive at the house, Jesus enters with Peter, James, and John, along with Jairus and his wife. He tells everyone not to worry because the girl is only sleeping, which prompts ridicule, causing Jesus to clear the room, apparently of everyone. He then takes the girl by the hand and says to her, little girl, arise, which of course she does. The stories show us two different approaches to Jesus. In the greater story, a father is desperately pulling Jesus through the streets to come to his home and heal his dying daughter. Jesus goes, but not quickly enough to beat death. And in the end, he doesn't heal the girl as much as he raises her from the dead. Well, mission accomplished. The girl's alive and well, even if it took a circuitous route to get to health. Well, in the lesser story, A woman is desperate for a healing, and she tugs on Jesus' garment. A pulling on Jesus in a different way, sort of covertly, like she's pulling from behind rather than dragging him from the front like Jairus. In both stories, Jesus is pulled, and in both, the puller gets what they came for. One gets it slower than he would have liked, and the other, well, she gets it more quickly than she expected. The pushing and pulling and healing and raising... Well, they're all connected by this interesting fact of 12 years. The Hebrew number 12 indicates perfect government. When God wants to show that he is ruling and that his government is complete, he uses 12. For instance, Jacob had 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus copied this in his choosing 12 disciples, and the New Jerusalem has 12 foundation stones. Jesus' first recorded words are at the age of 12. And he gives 12 baskets of leftovers at the feeding of the 5,000. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he claims to have 12 legions of angels on watch if he needs them. A 12-year-old girl and a woman with a bleeding issue lasting 12 years are linked in more ways than their ages and the length of their disease. The bleeding issue is another way of saying that this woman was bleeding in a way that would keep her from bearing children of her own. So the girl comes to represent the last of the children, the last thing born with no hope for another. She's not only the only child of Jairus, but also the last child altogether. For this woman will not be able to bear one. In healing the woman and the little girl, there's an end to barrenness and an end to endings. The woman's new beginning is the little girl's new beginning and vice versa. The resurrection of the girl is the resurrection of a new reality for the woman. They're entering a new world, a perfect government, a new Jerusalem. To answer our earlier question about what to make of the Jesus that looks like a walking slot machine here, well, let me explain the question before I attempt an answer. Jesus doesn't appear to go looking for the woman with the issue of blood. It seems that she goes looking for him, that she interrupts his journey and takes a healing from him. Some commentators see Jesus as reluctant or, as I read one say, he seems a bit churlish in his response. Well, I can see where he comes from, but I have my own take. Jesus could have said to Jairus, oh, Jairus, there's not time to go to your house. If you can believe, well, I'll just speak the word right here and you can go home and play with your daughter. She'll be fine. He did something similar to the centurion who said, speak the word and my servant will be healed. So, Jesus did exactly that, and the servant was healed indeed. But he doesn't do this with Jairus, and it could be for a couple of reasons. One reason is that Jesus meets us where our faith ends. If you have the kind of faith that needs Jesus to come to your house to perform the miracle, fine. He won't condemn what you don't have, he'll simply honor what you do have. If you think he can just speak the word, even better. He can. He deals with what you bring, he doesn't make you come up to his level. The woman with the issue of blood proves this, a case of the little story helping us to interpret the bigger one. She thinks just touching the garment is enough. She isn't wrong. The second reason that Jesus doesn't say anything to Jairus is so that they will pass by the woman with the issue of blood. I don't think it's an interruption to a bigger event. It just might be the event. If they don't walk down the road toward Jairus' house, they don't pass the bleeding woman. Her condition might make it to where she can only travel so far at a time. When the procession comes in front of her place, well, the opportunity has arrived, and she seizes it. So she isn't just pulling the lever and a miracle pops out. Oh, no. The physician has made a special trip to her street, and all she must do is grab on. You see, in the end, everyone wins. Jairus has his daughter back. The little girl has her whole life ahead of her. The woman with the issue of blood can stop spending money on doctors and Get back to the business of living. And if my hypothesis about the story is correct, she can now bear a child of her own. She also has the identity of a daughter and a destiny to live out of and toward. What a touching combination of things, all compressed into a few verses. I'm encouraged by the story in many ways. In part, I'm thankful for Jairus because he shows me that I don't have to have my faith lined up perfectly for Jesus to move. I'm thankful for the woman with the bleeding issue for, well, for much the same reason. I I sometimes have little left in me, and I can only reach out and touch his garment and just hope that's enough. And I'm thankful for the little girl, because she's just living her life until she isn't. And then she sets up and starts talking, oblivious to how miraculous this day has been. Sometimes I need a miracle I can't properly appreciate, and I know I can talk my way right through it. Well, mostly... I'm thankful for Jesus. And I know that one's obvious, and it shouldn't even have to be said here, but I'll say it anyway. I'm thankful that he's patient with my moments of impatience. I'm thankful that he cares for me as I care for my kids and their ailments and their sicknesses. And I'm thankful that he sees me, but that he doesn't only see me. He forces me to see that I'm part of a greater family of humanity and that on the way to my five-alarm fire, other people are bleeding and need him which means they need me and my patients. I'm thankful that he doesn't only heal, he teaches. He teaches me that I'm a son, and he teaches me the importance of feeding, just like the little girl is given food when she is raised. He's, he's my physician. Praise his name. Read the stories again and see what you can find and what speaks to you. Odds are it will shift as your life does, which is the living beauty of the biblical stories. They seem to grow in meaning As we grow in grace, well, grace to you.